Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now it's time for a hit and run on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score and on the Marquee Sports Network. Here's Matt Spiegel. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, baseball people. It is indeed hit and run on 670 The Score and for this half hour, also. On the Marquee Sports Network. Been a very fun show so far. Spoke to Advert Alzali, the Cubs closer in the first hour. Make sure you go back and catch that on the podcast if you missed it. He was incredibly entertaining, fun, thoughtful, smart, passionate, and confirmed what it has appeared to be the case that that man was born to be a closer. Like when a player and a role just kind of find each other, in this beautiful moment of baseball symmetry, that's what we're watching. And boy, talking to Adbert only confirmed that for me. Also, last hour, we talked to John Dewan, um, the founder of Stats, Inc., the founder of the Fielding Bible as well. But as we steamroll towards the finale of a Cubs series with the Blue Jays that they've already won, picked up the first two wins, Let's check in in Toronto with our friend Jim Deshays, who joins us right now on the Score Hotline, powered by IBEW Local 9, Chicago original powerhouse since 1892. J.D., you are live on the Score and Marquee at the same time. It's uh, it's a technical marvel, frankly. How are you, sir? Amazing. It's amazing. Does that mean I'm going to get paid double for this? <laughs> Twice what I normally would get? I, yes, that I can yes. confirm. That, that's I, easy I, math. That's I, easy math. <laughs> hey, how come you never sing, uh, like, when you come back from break? How come? Instead of playing that bumper music, just you doing your thing, singing I, something. I, I want to. I want to. You know how hard yeah. it is? You know how hard it is not to? J.D., I, um, that, you know, that's Tributosaurus who does the uh, the radio jingle. It's me and Tributosaurus. He hit one off that video board. Like, I want to sing that all the time, you know? I know. I, I, I can't. Know. I, I, I can't. They don't. Nobody wants to hear me sing. No, just, oh, please. Yes. Uh, they, please. They, they Share wanna... your gift with the world. Let's go, man. <laughs> um, my God, I got to tell you, I enjoyed talking to Adbert so much. And he's just so, he, he's like so energetic and so happy. D- doesn't it seem like this role was waiting for him his whole life and now he's found it? Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? Because when he first came up, uh, he was very intriguing pitching prospect as a starter. 
Um, and I still think he could, you know, I, I think he's talented enough and has a diverse enough mix of pitches where he could uh, end up doing that. But, yeah, he settled in nicely. He looks really comfortable out there. He seems to crave the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a really good fit. How, how much does that matter for that job, craving the moment, loving the moment, not shying away? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's part of it. How big a part of it, I, I don't know. Um, most closers that I've talked to over the years, certainly my contemporaries, um, it, it's a nerve wracking job. And so when and whenever you, you you watch a guy, you go, man, he looks really composed out there. It's it's the ability to just calm yourself in those big moments. But it's it's high anxiety every time when you're in a high leverage situation late in the game, whether it's you know in the ninth inning and, and you're the last man out there or it's a seventh inning situation. You come trotting out of the bullpen with runners on second and third. So um, I think there's a lot of mental games that pitchers play with themselves to get get in the right headspace to compete in that situation and not completely freak out. Um, I did it once in my life uh, in AAA, and it was later in my career, and I came in to pitch the ninth inning of a one-run game in, like, Colorado Springs or somewhere. And I tell you what, it, it felt – really weird it's I said, what is going on here uh you know i've pitched a number of years in the big leagues this is a triple a game it shouldn't feel that different but it, it felt different and so uh i think it's a matter of getting used to it and and being in the fire a number of times before you're able to settle in and be comfortable in that role i i had to go to baseball reference to remind myself who the closer was during your years in houston with that great pitching staff and mike scott it was dave smith and that that's not a guy that I remember as a fireballer who blew people away. Did he have some guile? Did he use some guile to get that yeah, job done? Well, and, and Smitty was exactly who I had in mind because he he was a nervous wreck out there, but he was able to control his nerves. Uh, he had he had a good enough fastball. He had a great changeup. He had a really good changeup and a good overhand curveball. So it, it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't ninety seven miles an hour and very few guys back in the day were, but it was probably ninety one ninety two. Um, but great changeup, great curveball, and uh, you know he would. <laughs> there's plenty of times after a game, I'd see him in his locker, and he'd have a drink in his hand, and it would be shaking. You know, it would just, <laughs> he'd have to kind of, woo, just bring it on down, Smitty. Wow. Uh, but but he, but he man, then he'd, he'd have to tee it up and go back out there the next night. Man, yeah, that's 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 intense. I uh, all right. So if the category is great closers who used a changeup a lot, um, we go Trevor Hoffman. Doug Jones had a great changeup, former Cub. Great, great nickname too, right? The mild thing. I mean, how good was that? But he, he turned that little turnover like at about eighty-three, and just whoop, and just you know, it would just trap Doria right at the knees as it got into the hitting zone. It's a mild thing. Oh God, I, I, I forgot about the mild thing. Uh, people can text the show when they're on, and here's one that I just got. Uh, it, it, really, this is uh, not a plant. Um, the text to the show, I've been watching Chicago baseball since Jack Brickhouse was calling games for both teams. J.D. is my all-time favorite analyst. Along with great baseball analysis, he makes me laugh out loud multiple times a game with his Letterman-esque sense of humor. Love you, J.D. That from a listener to the radio show. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank, thank you, faithful listener. I appreciate that. Uh, keep them coming. Uh, yeah. Well, yesterday we managed to work in a Bonnie Franklin reference, so... I hope he appreciated that. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Is that was that a one day at a time thing in terms of how you have to take uh, this the season? 
No, they have a good. They have, it's, I'm not that clever. They have a guy named Schneider. Oh, right. And uh, yeah, you remember? I actually have two. The manager's named Schneider too, but the old the super on uh, one day at a time was Schneider. Oh yes, oh. yes. It's just it, it's it's just stupid. I'm sorry. I apologize, <laughs> but it just comes out. Hey man, you're talking to a guy who starts and ends his show with the theme music from This Week in Baseball. You know what I mean? Yeah, so like, yeah. just hearkening back uh, every once in a while, it, it it makes the the soul feel good. All right, let me let, let me ask you, Jim, about Justin Steele, who has a 2.79 ERA in 22 starts, is now at 126 innings. He's well past his. Uh, maximum innings, and it's an interesting thing here because you want this guy all year long, and you want this guy hopefully into October, um, and he appears healthy, wants the ball, feels like a bulldog. At this point, there's a number of ways that teams can go. They could skip a guy. They could um, keep the innings and the pitch count lower. They could just steamroll forward and see if he's got one of those powerful arms and make the most of this moment. I mean, I don't know that there's a correct way that everyone agrees to do it at this point in MLB. Yeah, well, you know, I think the the, the math changes a little bit too when you're when you're in a race and you're you're playing for something important as opposed to just playing out the string at the end of a season. So, uh, yeah, you want to protect the player, but obviously you've got to go out and try to try to win a division. Um, so, but you know, we've got off days coming up, right? We've got uh, yep. one tomorrow, one again on Thursday. So, I think what you could do is, is buy him a little time that way, just give him an extra day. You don't have to skip him the term, but just give him an extra day. Read the situation. If he has a, a an outing where he, you know, he's really laboring, and uh, maybe you get him out a little bit earlier than you otherwise would. Uh, keep keep a close watch on the pitch count and just monitor it that way. Through 119 innings last year, he's at 126 this year. Um, so you know, I, I think he's he should be in pretty good shape to push through. I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll be very careful and, and monitor him and and buy him a little extra time if need be. But um, I, I think. At least for me, uh, the priority now becomes trying to win this division. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that makes all the sense in the world. Eighty-four pitches yesterday for Steele, uh, just went the five innings, but his last two against Atlanta, against Cincinnati, one ten and one hundred one, and looked to be. Um, you know, there were hot, sticky days, uh, and there's a lot of sweat coming down with. With, with his face and his beard construction always makes for an interesting look towards the end of a game, you know? Um, I, I, but I, I wonder, do you, do you push a guy sometimes? Do you push your ace or, or push a horse sometimes at the end of a game to give you a little more just so you can learn whether he's got it as well for, for moving down the road? Is that ever a thought process in there? Um, well, I... I I'm reaching. For, I'm, re- uh, I'm reaching, for, Jim. I think for a veteran guy, that first of all, let, let's go back and say you. I think you used the term beard construction. So let's <laughs> let's start with that, um, and, let, and let, let me answer your question. Okay. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I think it's more of like just, let's just react from one start to the next. So two starts to go through 110 pitches. Um, so now, you know, yesterday. You know, they got him out after five innings, 84 pitches. But it was a one-run game, and he was coming up against a tough pocket of the lineup and a guy who had two real good swings against him already. So I think that was a decision that the game kind of forced their hand to make that move. But 84 pitches is a lot fewer than 110. So, it, you know, that, that you bank those pitches essentially. Say, okay, he didn't have to push, push hard uh, through this outing. He should be good, fresh to go next time, and there's a pretty good chance 
he's going to have an extra day's rest too. So you talk to the player, you get a sense of how he's feeling. You watch his bullpens, see how the ball's coming out of his hand. If you need to back off the amount of pitches you throw in the bullpen or in between starts, you, you, you can do that too. There's any number of ways you can, you can react to these situations and, and try to keep a guy fresh. And ultimately then if he starts to get, he tells you he's a little tender, um, then that's when I think you start thinking about shutting him down, skipping his start, um, and then regrouping in 10 days. But uh, I have no indication that that's going on with, with Justin. So I, I think you just get you know, one start, to, from, you know, one to the next, and you just react to what you saw on that, on that given day. I'd like to apologize for making you do hardcore pitching analysis when clearly you want to talk about beard construction. So let's go back to that. And, um, it, it, I mean, what do you make of his beard construction? Yeah, well, it, it needs a little work. I mean, it's his. I mean, it's his signature look. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to throw him under the bus. It's just what he's rolling with. And, of course, it, I have no idea if Justin's superstitious or, or not. But when you're pitching the way he's been pitching this year, you probably leave well enough alone. So, yeah. Uh, it, his, his beard came up um, in transition the other day. And Dan Bernstein and I were talking about what the beard reminds you of. And for me, it's he looks like the mechanics assistant in the podunk town where the city slicker in the movie has has a broken down car and has to take it to the mechanic. And he's told that it's going to be a long time and the parts don't come in until Tuesday, you know, and Justin, you got to spend the night at the local hotel. Exactly. Exactly. And, and Justin is the assistant like who, like the cutaway is to Justin smiling with like uh, tobacco in his mouth and he's spitting as they're about to take the money from the city slicker. That's my profile of his beard. Yeah, that's that's fair. Oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, good. I'm so glad we did that. Um, Jim, before you came on, I played a snippet of uh, my podcast, the PBP Voices of Baseball. This past week I had Boog Shambi on. You know Boog, you're familiar with his work. Yeah, he's right over here to my left. Yeah. So he's grinding away. Yeah. He was, so he he told he told an amazing story, which I played for the listeners of this radio show um, last segment about you guys throwing the baseball, you throwing your baseball card down to test the wind, and it ended up in fair territory. And later on, he gets a text from Scott's service who as he was walking out to take out either George Kirby or, or Logan Gilbert or somebody, he looks down and sees your baseball card on the field. That's an incredible story. Um, can you describe the panic when you and Boog realized that your baseball card, which you tossed uh, purportedly to test the wind, ended up on the field of play, sir? Yeah, well, I, I've been doing it for years, uh, and I usually do it before games. But sometimes if the wind changes in the game, I'll flip it out between innings. Uh, and I almost—I think I've had two in, in the many years actually get to the field. One, many years ago, one landed right behind home plate before the game, and the bat boy picked it up, stuffed it in his pocket. And this one, it was in between innings. It was like the fourth or fifth inning when I flipped it out there, and I caught the wind, and it just continued to flutter, and it landed uh, – you know, by halfway up the first baseline between the line and the mound. And it just laid there. And I thought, somebody clearly has to see this and go pick this up. I mean, it's not going to impact play at all. But I was like, oh, this, you know, <laughs> somebody should pick this up. And it just laid there and kept monitoring it from one inning to the next. And then I kind of forgot about it. And it was after the game. We were, at, I think we were on the plane. or And, and Boo gets a text from, from service. And, he, and it was a picture of it. He, Scotty picked it up, put it in his pocket, took it back to his office. He took a picture of the card and sent Boog a text because I just I knew 
I knew we were in pretty good shape when I was walking to the mound to make a pitching change, and I saw this laying there. Oh, God, it's it's yeah. just, just incredible. And service, a former teammate of yours? Scotty, was he, he first came up to the Astros in uh, September. It was September call-up, if I recall, in 1991, my last year with the Astros. Yeah. Wow. Um, so what are you learning when you flip the card out there? What, what are you seeing? Truthfully, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to read the wind, whether it's blowing in or out. And then I also kind of like to watch it fly and see where it lands, to tell you the truth. And it was always my goal to get one on the field. And, you know, I did that first year. And I think with the, with the renovations and putting the, the video board in, I think it impacted uh, my ability to, to get that kind of carry. So I was really surprised. When, when that one went as far as it did. Wow, uh, that's that that's remarkable. And then um, my other question: Did you go online and buy a whole bunch of Jim Deshays baseball cards? How does that work out? No, people send them to you. You know, a lot of times people will send you cards and ask you to sign them, and then they'll say, "Here's some duplicates if you want to keep them." So I, I, I keep a stash. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. Just, if, I, if I could interject for just a second, I just saw Rossi sprinting down the first baseline. I'm not sure exactly why, but. Yeah, I think Rossi's feeling pretty chipper these days. Wow. Yeah. They're out there hitting ground balls to wisdom at first base, and Rossi decided to sprint down the first baseline. That's that's awesome. So just feeling yeah. that 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 those athlete vibes, you know, just, just kicking in out there on the field. That makes sense. Yeah, well, he's got a little energy. You know, his ball club's playing winning baseball. Things are looking up, and he's he bringing a little energy to the party. You, you know what's been incredibly fun um, is – the pivot to aggression that happened, obviously, um, when they won eight games in a row and Jed decided and then told us after it was the comeback against the White Sox and the Talkman catch on Friday in St. Louis, that those things mattered. But since then, it feels like the entire, all the game management has pivoted to aggression, whether it's the, the, you know, putting the best nine out there, um, making sure that Seiya sits for a little while and works on stuff, um, using high leverage relievers the other night. I know there was an off day coming, but uh, the down two runs, Merriweather, and I think it was lighter, um, in it, it down two runs to give the offense a chance, stuff like that. It feels like. And, and Rossi's got to be feeling a great sense of relief in that regard and kind of a sense of joy. You're just trying to win ball games. That is the main focus yeah. every night. That's kind of fun. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it's interesting, right, because uh, the, the timing of the tread de- deadline, if you, you make the deal, you kind of put yourself out there, we're going for it. And then you got that home stand with the Reds and the Braves, and that could have gone south. Those are two good clubs. And if at the end of that, all of a sudden you look up and you go, uh-oh, we're six games out. We probably should have played it the other way. It could have been ugly, but it didn't. You know, they, they continue to play winning baseball. And I'm with you. It's fun to watch now. That's clearly Rossi's focus. And, and that's, I think, any, any manager that's in a competitive situation, you get to this point in the season and you have to narrow your focus. Early in the year, even with a team that's expected to win, you're still thinking big picture. This guy needs to get his at-bats. We need to keep everybody involved. We need to do what it takes to, to you know, have the most balanced, well-rounded roster. Then you get down towards the end of the season, you get into the sprint mode late, and it is about what do we need to do to win today's game. That, the balance shifts a little bit more to that focus. That's not to say that you, know, you, you don't give guys the occasional off day uh, if they need it, but uh, clearly um, the, the priority now is, is kind of win, 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 and, and there's no longer that, that broad view of, 
of a, a full season ahead of us. Now it's the sprint to the finish line. We've got a, we've got a lineup for today's game against the lefty. Um, so you've got because uh, it's Jamison Tyone and Hyunjin Ryu uh, today. Uh, Jamer Candelario with the rare day off and Patrick Wisdom in there at first, Madrigal at third, and obviously Seiya Suzuki at right, Bellinger in center, and uh, and no Mike Talkman. So this lineup against against lefties. Um, the rare start for Wisdom. Do, do you get the sense it is a certain profile of lefty because it's not all of them that he starts against? Right. I, I think, you know, I think the, the, the high velocity guys that can beat you up in the strike zone is not a good matchup uh, for Patrick. But, but a guy like Ryu who does not have the high octane heater, I, I think it's, a, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's an easier matchup. It fits Patrick's game a little bit better. Um, so I think that's probably why, what Rossi would tell you, why, why Patrick's in there today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wants, to, he wants to keep him involved, uh, obviously, a little bit, and uh, this this is a good opportunity to get him some at bat. Is um is Boog hanging around with you enough, or is he all about hanging around with his pal Dan Schulman while you guys are there in Toronto? Because well, he... I'm not I'm not sure he can tell us apart. So whether he's hanging out with Schulman or me, he probably just figures he's with one of his bald headed bearded friends. That picture was something that 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 Boog, that Boog tweeted of of you and Boog and also you again. Yeah, that, that was. Yeah. Pretty remarkable. My cousin Daryl, my other cousin Daryl. Yeah, that's right. But your cousin Randy, you know, you're. It, uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's not Randy. Should've, yeah, should have invited cousin Randy up to Toronto. Yeah, or just my bad. Yeah, or or, or just Ryan Tapera. Either one would yeah. be fine. Um, yeah. Thank you, Jim. A pleasure. Sure, speaks. All right, buddy. Have a great Sunday. All right, man. We'll talk thank, to you later. Thank you. You too. Yeah. That's Jim Deshays. See you later. It's Jim Deshays of the Marquee Sports Network, and uh, that is what you're watching. Uh, the Marquee Sports Network. If you're just listening, well, why aren't you also watching? It's great fun to be uh, broadcasting on both. This is Hit and Run on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel with you. And Sundays at 11, you can find me in both places. Um, last week in this time slot, I told you about Trey Turner's beautiful welcome by the Philadelphia fans after he had booted a ball that led to disaster and he's had this terrible year. Do you remember that, folks who are watching or listening in the same time slot? And if you don't, that's okay too. But anyway, Turner was having a terrible year. And Friday night, the first game of a homestand in Philly, the Phillies fans decided to give him a standing ovation every time that he was up just to show him that they were with him. Because the night before... He had committed the error, and he had said after the game, this loss is on me. I feel terrible. They signed me for big money, and I've been bad. And so that night, he got four standing ovations. He was clearly emotional, and he got a hit that night. And a funny thing has happened that I wanted to share with you. He had two hits the next night on Saturday, and then one hit on Sunday, and then one hit the next day, and then two the next day, and then two the day after that, and then one the day after that, and then three on Friday, three for five with two doubles. And last night, Saturday, he went three for three. He has a hit in every single game since the four standing ovations that the Philly fans have given him. Outrageous. And just like that, today, his OPS is above 700 for the first time since May 17th. I mean, that I love that stuff. That is the power of good vibes.
The power of good vibes, babe. So wanted to follow up on that story. I did mention uh, the Cubs lineup, and you'll be getting to your Cubs pregame on Marquee after this segment. Mike Talkman is not in the lineup and because he doesn't get into the lineup against lefties. If I may, I would love to see Talkman every day. I really would. But that means no Saya. Now that Saya's rolling, I understand that it's good to see Saya back in there, especially against the lefties. So you balance those. One other thing, one other suggestion to David Ross, if I may use my time here. Um, Cody Bellinger out of cleanup and into the top three somewhere, wherever you like. I, I just get a little, I get a little sad when Bellinger ends the first inning on deck. It just doesn't feel right. When the guy who is a newly qualified hitter in terms of enough stats, enough plate appearances to qualify for the batting title, he's fourth in batting average in MLB. Fourth. Luis Arise, who's hitting 365. Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna, Cody Bellinger. In terms of OPS, Cody's sixth in all of baseball at 941. Get this man in a bat in the first inning. I hope, um, hope David's okay with that suggestion. I'll pass it on directly. We do have one thing you need to hear as well, and that is the best prospect in the Cubs system going deep last night. Armstrong has reached base in 10 straight games. 2-0, sit high, deep to right field. That one's way gone. A double in the first and a homer in the second for Pete Crow Armstrong. The Iowa Cubs lead extends to 3-1 here in the top of the second inning. Starting to find his swing here in AAA. Oh, you think so? A September call-up for Pete Crow Armstrong is possible. Guy skyrocketing through the system and dominating in AAA. Thanks for listening to Hit and Run and watching it on the Marquee Sports Network. Much more show to go on the radio side. Your TV pregame is next. We're back with more Hit and Run. No way, too high. Too high? You said me too high. Too high. Not too high. Too hard. First, it was really high. Who gives a It's gone. On 670, the score. Bounces one to third. Berger makes the play. It's a Marlins win. Cy Young goes the distance again. Shuts down the Yankees 3-1 the final score. Cy Young indeed. Sandy Alcantara was remarkable yesterday. Five hits in nine innings, struck out 10, threw 116 pitches. Last year's Cy Young Award winner for the Marlins did that to the Yankees. Um, Three starts ago, he did it again. A nine-inning complete game with seven Ks, and that one was only on 97 pitches. That is the third complete game of Sandy Alcantara's season. And, folks, that leads Major League Baseball. Last year, the number one pitcher in terms of complete games in Major League Baseball was Sandy Alcantara, who had six of them. Six. This, you know baseball has changed. So we celebrate when there is a complete game 
by a great pitcher like Alcantara did yesterday. It wasn't a shutout, but it was a complete game. It wasn't the only one, uh, in fact, as George Kirby, the previously mentioned on this show, George Kirby of Seattle also did it. Kirby's 1-2. Popped up. Kirby pointing. France coming. Kirby, he finishes it off himself. What a masterpiece from George Kirby. A career performance. Pretty cool for George Kirby, who's an unbelievable pitcher with really, really good stuff. And Seattle just keeps um, it keeps doing their thing. Uh, you know, it. It's uh, the Seattle Mariners at this point. I think they might be the hottest team in baseball right now. Have they won eight in a row? Is that where we are with the Mariners right now? I know it was seven in a row at one point. I think it, I, I think it, is, I think it is eight in a row uh, for Seattle. And it, what's interesting is that they sold. Oh, no, they lost yesterday. So it, 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 after Kirby's, that was Friday, was, was Kirby's game. So they lost yesterday. So it was up to eight in a row for Seattle. And they sold at the deadline. They traded away Paul Seawald, who has blown a couple saves in Arizona, by the way. And what's interesting is that Seawald, as Eno Saris of The Athletic talked about on this very show a while back, does not have the most compelling stuff in that Mariners bullpen by any stretch. But he was the guy they were using to close. So they knew they had other people that they could slot in. Jerry Depoto is a smart general manager, and he's creative. I like the way that he thinks. And here's Seattle now, having gone on a tear. They're 10 games over 500 right now, six and a half back in the American League West. And in terms of the wild card right now, Seattle, half game back of Toronto. Depending on what Seattle does against the Orioles today and what the Cubs do against Toronto today, they might be in a wild card spot by the end of the day. How about, I mean, those are some pretty good series today that, that you've got going on. I mean, the Twins and Phillies is a cool interleague matchup with two teams above 500, both sitting there in playoff position. The Cubs and Blue Jays is the same. And yes, both teams sitting there in playoff position because the Cubs would be the third wild card if the season ended today. The Angels and Astros out west going for it, both of them. Astros much, much better. Angels looking like they might get nothing for Shohei Otani. And that includes a playoff stop. Yankees, Marlins, you heard the highlight right there. Orioles, Mariners is a lot of fun. And the Padres and D-backs, all of a sudden, games of consequence for both of them as they are outside of the playoff picture. But I mentioned complete games, and you heard two of them right there. Year by year, I'm looking at the complete games leaders. You have to go back to 2011 to find the last time a pitcher had double-digit complete games. That was James Shields in 2011. Had 11 complete games. Big game James? Big game James. Traded for Fernando Tatis Jr. Still doesn't look good. Yeah. Rick kind of missed on that one. Um, Poor guy. CeCe Sabathia had 10 in 2008. With the Brewers, right? Yeah. Was that the split year? Uh, I think 08 was the year he was split. Yes. So some Brewers, some Cleveland. I feel like some of those were against the Cubs. To go back and find a pitcher with 20 or more complete games, you have to go to 1986. Fernando Valenzuela, who just went into the Dodgers Hall of Fame the other day. Yeah, Fernando, uh, from a time when hmm, young pitchers were used, abused, hung out to dry. 
but never, never anything quite as bad as the 1980 Oakland A's. Folks, do you know the 1980 Oakland A's? Are you hip to them? The 1980 Oakland A's had Billy Martin as the manager, and he really believed in complete games. Really, really believed in them. And he really liked to lean on his pitchers. And so he did. Uh, That year, there were, let's see, 28 complete games for Rick Langford, 24 complete games for Mike Norris, 20 complete games for Matt Keough, 11 for Steve McCaddy, and 10 for Brian Kingman. All five starting pitchers in the Oakland A's had at least 10 complete games. Just bananas what, what, what Billy was doing. Just grinding those guys into the ground. They were, they were pretty good, though. They, they finished second. And then in 81, in the split season, there were a bunch of complete games then as well. Four pitchers in double digits, Langford, McCaddy, Norris, and Keough. And they, of course, would not go on to be able to do much else the rest of their career. Do you see what the Oakland A's are up to recently? Oh, you know, this yesterday, how about Ildemero Vargas at the play? Throwback. Ildemero Vargas, former Cub, briefly. Uh, with Luis Medina on the mound. Listen to the way this one sounded. Up the middle. Look at that play by the pitcher. Nobody. What is this? Oh, he, he never went to the bag. He never threw it to Soderstrom. And I tell you, Eric Young Jr. is screaming in delight at Vargas for hustling. He made a great play to glove that ball and then forgot to make the rest of the play. 24-year-old pitcher who Hello? just lost his brain here for a second. Yeah, it's too bad. That's uh, lost his it, it, a comebacker made a nice play, and then walks it over to first. First baseman's there, standing right there. Could have just tossed, but instead a brain fart. It 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 is going down as I think the most embarrassing play of the season so far, most boneheaded play of the season so far. Whatever, however you'd like to paraphrase it, that's the way it is being discussed. So. Uh, I love looking around the game and trying to figure out what's happening that will affect the Cubs and or Sox. The Cubs uh, last night looking for the White Sox help and did not get it. Jesse Schultens was terrific. Six um, innings of shutout ball before faltering in the seventh and giving up three runs. But, man, after six innings pitched, Schultens left out there for the seventh and gives up a walk and a hit and then a deep fly ball and then still left out there and gives up a double to uh, tie the game at two. And then the reliever after that, Brian Shaw, gave up the single and the White Sox would lose it three to two. And that's why the Brewers remain two and a half games ahead of the Cubs. Cubs and Braves coming up top of the hour. We'll tell you how how, uh, Jamison Tyone has turned things around. Want to share that with you. And also, you'll hear from Nico Horner, who was on earlier in the week on Parkinson Spiegel. That's here on 670 The Score. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. I think it's always rewarding when you put work in and you have struggles and you see that that stuff um, pay off with, you know, there, there's so many different things that you feel like can contribute to some struggles, um, whether it's, you know, the play behind you, just some balls falling in and, 
he never wavered from his confidence and his work and um, maybe some pitch mix stuff that we identified early on and you start to f see it trend in the right direction. A little bit of a bad luck there for a minute and then he's just really been on a nice roll right before the All-Star break. I love that maybe some pitch mix stuff. As Rossi hints at the multi-layered turnaround of Jamison Tyone, today's starting pitcher for the Cubs against the Toronto Blue Jays. Pre-game coming up at the top of the hour. You're listening to Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel, here on 670 The Score. So after 14 starts, Jamison Tyone had an ERA of 6.93. 6.93. Cubs were 3-11 and in those 14 starts, and it looked like a terrible signing, was really damaging to their overall record, just how bad it had gotten. And then he has turned it around, really beginning with that start at Yankee Stadium before the break when he went eight shutout innings. Since that start, it has been six straight outings of very, very good. 37 and a third innings, so averaging well over six a start with an ERA of 2.17. So we'll see if he can go six. Maybe he can go seven today. I mean, that's a really cool stat. Thanks for sharing that with me. Justin Steele, man, I am happy to share it with you. And Sahad of Sharma, the athletic, did a really good deep dive on Tyone's uh, multifaceted turnaround. But before I tell you something from that, let's listen to Jameson himself uh, talking about how the confidence has been built back for him. You went to work with a mental skills coach right after London, but you talked about the idea of act as if. So making sure you're sticking your chest out, holding your head up high, and, and being intentional about what you're trying to do every day. Yeah, yeah, and I felt like when I was just struggling a little bit, I kind of just put my head down almost to a fault and tried to stay out of everyone's way. And then it's like, you know what, no, like... I've seen, you know, position players like playing behind a guy who's confident and who shows up with intent behind what they're doing and who gives off a, a good vibe on their start day and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's been big for me to show up to the park with intent. Um, you know, it's not like you're walking around like a bag, but it's like just intent behind your work um, and being intentional about interacting with your teammates and stuff like that. Ha! <laughs> a, a blank bag. I think I know what he said. Jewel bag, right? Jewel? Mariano's? I don't know. No? God, unbelievable. We bleep everything around here. We're very bleep happy at this place. So Tyone talking about walking around with intent, not like a jewel bag, but, you know, but confident. And the, uh, the Sahadov article I mentioned talks about him pitching with conviction. It talks about the pitch mix. It uh, talks about uh, all sorts of stuff. talks about some mechanics that he and Tommy Hadovy worked on. But I thought this was fascinating. They thought the curveball, the pitch shape of the curveball, was all messed up. Said the curveball was getting more sweepy instead of depth-y. We looked at some grip and axis things. Essentially, where I am at release with my hand. Last start, I finally saw some curveballs with 10 to 12 inches of depth, which is really good. If we can be equal with vert and horizontal, like 10 and 10 or more vert than horizontal, then we're in a really nice spot. I worry when I start getting into that 4-5 vert with 10 horizontal that it starts blending with my slider. So look, vert is vertical, and I know there's a lot of stuff in there that's tactical, but the key is the end. 
the curveball was blending with his slider and looking kind of like his slider. And no, it needs to be snappier and have more depth. So those pitches can't look alike to the hitter. That seems to be a very big deal that Jamison Tyone figured out with the help of Daniel Moscos, who you've heard on this show, and with the help of Tommy Hadovy. All right, before we get out of here, I want to want you to hear a little bit of Nico Horner, who was on with Parkinson Spiegel, as he always is, earlier in the week. And we had been talking with him about the stuff that had gone on, supposedly, allegedly, with Tim Anderson and Yasmani Grandal on the south side. And Nico uh, was talking about their clubhouse culture on the north side right now. This isn't going to be a very exciting answer, but like I, we really have had some pretty awesome clubhouses here, even though we've had crazy turnover in the last like three or four years, obviously. like. Really good people. I feel like the Cubs do a pretty pretty good job of that. Um, you know, there's always things here here and there, but like we haven't had like any high drama. Um, but definitely better to just address things as they come up. And I feel like we've had enough veteran guys to do that. But um, yeah, I know it's crazy when you hear stories like that. And honestly, it's a little hard to picture in, in the settings that we've had for the most part. So. They have not had any kind of drama like that. Says that the players handle issues if they come up in-house. That the players handle issues in-house. I think at this level, when it's it's done best, it comes from, from players. I mean, it's not like, you know, college where you, you hopefully don't need, like, a too much of, like, a set-and-stone structure or, like, coaches to tell you what to do, right? Like, but, yeah, I mean, there's always times when, you know, guys – are called up and like need to learn little things or uh, just unwritten rules or, or whatever. But the game's also kind of like figuring out what those rules are, right? Like I feel like there was a long time in baseball where things are pretty black and white as far as what's okay and not. And then in recent years, I feel like there's kind of some funny misunderstanding on that end. But um, yeah, I really like where our clubhouse is at. So feel good about it. And um, the last thing I wanted to play for you is something I've been talking about for a while. Talked about it a little bit with Mike Talkman last week, and I was able to ask Nico about it. What I see as the uh, contagious selflessness of Cody Bellinger, his willingness to do the right thing situationally at the plate, and what it means when the best hitter on your team is playing that way. You know, you talk about about leadership in different ways. I mean, he he plays every single day, whether he's feeling good, not feeling good, and um, and can can impact the game in so many ways. You know, getting bags, two strike hits, home runs, whatever it may be. So if that's like, you know, what your 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 top guy or whatever you want to call it is doing, then no reason for anyone else not to, right? So yeah, you're absolutely right. As uh, always, it's nice to end a show. With an actual baseball person saying to me, Matt Spiegel, you're absolutely right. I can't deny that that's fun, people. I didn't do it intentionally, but I'm not sad it happened. Thank you to Sean Sears for doing a great job, as always, producing the show. Thank you to Alex Kuhn for helping out. And thank you to everybody helping out with the Marquee Simulcast. It takes a village, so we certainly appreciate them. Thank you to Jim Deshays. Thank you to John Dewan. Adbert Alzali and Chris Kampka. Great fun today on Hit and Run. Thank you for listening and calling and texting. Cubs baseball is up next. Zach Zabin and Ron Coomer with the call coming up right here on 670 The Score.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.